It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Nets podcast and the Locked On Podcast Network, your best eh, official source for all Nets information that you need here, I'm Doug Norrie, owner and operator of Daily Fantasy Sports Rankings, a player in the DFS and betting space, concentrating on NBA. And over there is Adam Armbrecht, the official Brooklyn Nets voice on Sportscaster. He's also lending his voice to general NBA stuff and NFL analyst. I don't know, we'll call it in the spectrum, all right? Does that work for you? I'm on the spectrum. <laughs> you are? Okay, well, there we go. If you can't tell, the sound's a little different for this one. We're sitting here live in the war room, in the Armbrecht war room uh, on draft night for the Nets. As we prepared, we were, you know, part of the big Locked On uh, podcast network that was doing a big uh, draft stuff all night long. And we were just kind of just generally just preparing for what the Nets were going to do here on draft night. Feverishly. Fe- I mean, yeah, just yeah. like as we... And it was one of these nights where we just saw the board... You know the 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 you know best best available player. You know who's left. You know where the net's gonna go. We did a bunch of other we did a bunch of breakdowns where we had seen you know guys like Desmond Bain. We talked about R.J. Hampton. We talked about Robert Woodard, Theo Maladone, guys that we thought would generally fall into the net's range, while also really secretly hoping that the Nets were gonna use this pick to maybe not take a draft pick here. Yeah. With with the hope being one one Mr. James Harden was gonna fall into our laps. Uh, um, and be part of the team that clearly really became apparent midday that it wasn't going to happen when the Rockets shipped off uh, Trevor Ariza, um, it that and brought them under the hard cap. It was kind of a signal that they had made the roster decisions they were going to make, so they can make sure they can keep hard, specifically Harden and Westbrook and PJ Tucker, who's got like a contract problem here, but whatever. But the Ariza thing really, when that happened, I think we were like, okay, the the Harden thing's not happening. So now, what's happening with the draft? And I think we still both secretly hoped for 
not to kind of trade the way trade the pick away, frankly. Like to, to find an NBA talent. Yep. That, that could come in here that another team would value like. Because there's so there's so many teams in a weird spaces here. There's some teams that have been sorry, my phone's buzzing here because we're doing this mid draft and I'm just getting still Woj texts and or Woj bombs and all this other stuff. But direct um, text from Woj? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, I said text, but I meant tweets. Oh, okay. Um, getting some texts too from other you know tangential Nets fans. But we were kind of hoping that this would turn into a situation where the Nets were getting NBA ready players while also maybe feeding some of the draft capital of teams that need it because mm-hmm. we know right now the NBA is really actually weirdly skewed and who has all the draft picks okc has all the draft picks new orleans has all the draft picks going forward there's teams that have no draft picks so we've seen this like reconfiguring over the last couple days of teams trying to figure out like oh my god we don't have a draft pick for years (laughs) like what are we going to do here and the nets kind of capitalized on that right now and they got landry shamit from the clippers in the three-way uh trade between them and the pistons my first reaction was great (laughs) Like, like the difference of doing figuring out what you're going to get from a draft pick, as opposed to figuring out what you're going to get from a guy who's already had meaningful NBA minutes, is kind of for me like a total no-brainer. Well, and so because as you said, when, we, when you're walking into it, it's first, well, you hope we make this trade and you land hard. And okay, it doesn't happen. Now you really look back at the roster and you say, remember, coming into this season, we feel really good about the depth. We have great players across the board at so many positions. So now, when you get to the draft pick, you go. You can take a guy that's a longer-term prospect, like Poku, right, who can sit overseas for a little bit, or a guy that has some raw natural ability but is going to need a couple of seasons to really develop those skill sets. And that's fine, and you can get excited about that, but it's not in-the-moment excitement. And then on top of then you start thinking about the players in the draft that you say can be contributors. We all know. I was getting pretty excited about Woodard. I was getting wet and wild on him. But ultimately... When, I, like, I like me some Desmond Bain. Right. This, he's in pain for Bain. That was his classic <laughs> tagline, if, you, if you've been following the podcast. But what ends up happening is, then when you talk about the, the deal goes down, you get Shamit, and what you have is the, the, the potential of a young draft pick with all of the proven commodity of already being in the NBA. He's only 23 years old, so you still end up getting a young piece, and you've already seen him do it at the NBA level. So this, this felt great. This, this was probably... The best case scenario, right? Yeah, this is the a, best the way, case scenario. Shamit's a year older than Desmond Bain, right? <laughs> so if we're, if we're talking about you know guys they were going to get in the draft, this is look. Do you want to get an eighteen-year-old that you can develop into somebody? Of course, right? Like we really liked Woodard, we mm-hmm. really liked Bain, we were lukewarm on the other like some of the other guys that we knew they were going to be like three-year McDaniels. prospects. Yeah, McDaniel's, Jalen Smith. I didn't want Jalen Smith, but he was like sort right. of projected there. Um, we were lukewarm on those guys with the idea that, well, if we're just going to have to take a pick at 19, mm-hmm. then this is just what happens. You're going to need to just kind of choose a path. The second this came in, and it came in basically when they were on the clock, um, that it was turning into Shamit. I don't want to call it a buy low situation on Shamit because it's not like he's a superstar by any means, but this is a clearly proven role player. I mean, this guy played meaningful minutes in the Nugget series in the bubble in the playoffs that the Clippers ended up losing. So this is a guy that can take the court. Is he going to close for an NBA, like a a championship level NBA team? Probably not, at least in this iteration. But the fact that he was playing meaningful minutes, I mean, he played two games. He played 20 and 25 minutes against the Nuggets. Now, one of those games was like a quasi blowout. The other one was pretty close. This is a guy is an absolute knockdown three-point shooter when it's on. was off a little bit this year, was basically over 40% for the first two seasons. Uh, went over, and, and just a brief history on him, if you don't know, he went over from Philly in the Tobias Harris trade. And it was one of those things where a lot of analysts at the time thought, 
oh man, why did Philly throw Shamit into this thing? Mm-hmm. Because Shamit was like a guy. They're like, oh, they didn't even need to do this. Like, because Philly, I mean, at risk of just like losing the clean tag on the podcast, like f the, the f that trade up pretty bad. Like, way, was, way to maintain it though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. I'm a, I'm a pros pro. So they they screwed that trade up pretty bad by. It was one of those things like, did you have to throw him in? Like the, the Clippers didn't even want Tobias Harris. <laughs> like, so Shamit goes over there, doesn't start, does start a few games this year. Uh, they had the Clippers had so many injury problems that he kind of was forced in the sh- starting role. Look, he's not an all on ball guy. He's gonna be a spot up three. He's gonna be a catch and shoot guy for sure. The defense is decent, um, so you're not really worried. He's not he's not gonna be a liability. He's not a uh, you know, he's not like a Clay Thompson two guard kind of like a defender, so I don't want to like get anyone excited there. But he's not a zero on the defensive end, so you're not like he can play off ball, and you're not going to worry. See, the one thing the Nets really need to concentrate on now is can we get guys that aren't going to worry if they've spent like the last six minutes and then they haven't touched the ball? Yeah, like you know what I mean. Right. Like, th- like this is the kind of guy you need, short of a superstar like James Harden, right? Shamit or Harden, same, 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 but different. Right, right. If you're not going to get him, you need a guy that you know doesn't need the ball a lot, but when he has the ball, it's going to go up and it's going to be an okay situation. And that's that's actually not the easiest thing to find in the NBA at this point. Like, there's yeah. a lot of guys that just want the ball, they want their shots, or they're bigs and they're just going to work in the post and get boards. It's kind of rare to find the guy that can be on the court for a long period of time, not put up a lot of stats, but you can feel okay when the ball comes to him for an open shot. Actually, I don't, I think Garrett Temple's are like a good example of this. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like he's, if Sham is not a veteran like Temple is, but you know, you don't need to see Garrett Temple for a long time in the court, but you also don't need to worry that he's in rhythm when he gets, when actually the ball comes to him. Right? Yeah, and uh, and also because there's not a pressure on, on a Garrett Temple. There's not a pressure on a Shamit to have to over exceed some level of expectation, right? So, and uh, you know, listen, you talk about last season, 40% from deep. That's going to be what you want there. You're out on the floor. You allow all of the superstars on this team to create the space for you and then knock them down when you get those looks. I'll even go the step beyond it because I was just pulling up when you talk about the updated depth chart now for the Brooklyn Nets. If you think about the idea that now in behind, so you have Kyrie Irving, Spencer Dinwiddie's in behind him. Karis LeVert starts at the two. Now we have Bruce Brown there. Love, I mean, we talked about that, had the crossover with Shook from the Locked On uh, Detroit Pistons podcast where we go, okay, so we fleeced you, gave you Musa, thanks so much. We've improved the depth there now at that position too. Then you go with Shamit behind Joe Harris. TLC, who we thought, I mean, listen, credit where it's due, guy showed up in the bubble and really went off there for a stretch. And also, I don't think that you were looking at him the way that you're looking at Shamit, right, in terms of creating depth behind him. And I still like TLC. Hmm. But what now what you end up having is a little bit more depth where you're not required for, let's say, the Chris Chioses of the world to be, you know, to be an important piece to this. And we don't, we didn't expect that no matter what was going on here or even the Rodion Kuruks as well, though, because now you have Durant with Torian Prince, et cetera, et cetera, down the line. It's just, it's creating better depth behind the established superstars that you have on your team and behind the known commodities that you have, even in Joe Harris and Spencer Dinwiddie as well. Do you, let me, if I can just supplement this here, is this an indication of anything else you anticipate happening for Brooklyn or is this combined with the Bruce Brown move kind of them just solidifying what this roster looks like? And now we head into the season and we feel great about the depth that we're, that we're moving with here. I'm going to get to that in a second, but I, first I got to hit built go. Look, when I was coming on my way over here, Adam and I are in the same room here, the war room, getting ready for the next draft. I realized I hadn't really eaten the entire day as I'm also just like sweating out the James Harden trade. 
and that's when it was built go time. Grabbed the pouch and knew I was going to have the five hour energy feel without like the, because I wasn't going to, what I was not going to do was stop off at like the quick check and grab one of the five hour energies. You just don't need to anymore. Bilco just provides exactly what you need in the moment to get the energy you need, get that energy level up. It's got all the great flavors. Tonight I reached for peanut butter, honey. That was the go-to for tonight. Knew I needed to do it. Bilco, collagen protein, fast absorbing, so it gets into your system fast. It's easy on the stomach. Didn't have a meal. Knew that wasn't going to cause me any problems later. It was the perfect solution for a long draft night. Right now, go over to visit and visit BiltGo.com. Use the promo code LOCKED. That's just like our podcast network, LOCKED. And you'll get 20% off your next order. Use the promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BiltGo. Let's go. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Okay, so a few podcasts ago, we talked about why we thought this Nets team was built pretty perfectly for this, what could be a very weird season. And it was going to be a season with a lot of back-to-backs. It was going to be a season with, you know, a very weird schedule. Who knows about COVID stuff? You know, who knows who's going to be playing on any given night? And walking into the season, we kind of talked about it and said, this team's kind of built perfectly for this. We're not, it's not top, it's, it's top-heavy and deep at the same time. And I actually think now, this is before Bruce Brown. You know that was my nickname in high school? What's that? Top heavy and deep. <laughs> but no, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I gotta go. You got me on that one, buddy. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to keep going. <laughs> Top heavy and deep. All right. So we talked about this. That was in the current state of the Nets. Or the, excuse me, the, pre, the the previous iteration where it was just you know, the guys. You know, it was Karras and Spencer. And then we're going to add in Kyrie and KD and, and Jared Allen and all everybody, right? Like It was basically all of last year's team. Plus Kyrie and KD. And you're like, oh, okay, this is something. Now, maybe is it is it a seven-game series with the Lakers team? Eh, maybe not. But it's a team that, over the course of a regular season, has almost no holes except for, like, a, you know, maybe, like, one or two really good on-ball defenders, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's where we're probably lacking. And maybe, like, still a true four, we're still lacking that, you know, depending on what, where you, like, kind of see KD playing on certain nights. Okay, there's there's holes. We can go through the holes in every single team. So right, if we're not going to go through every single team and say where's every what's everyone missing. Really, when I think about it now, they add Bruce Brown. We love that. We love that trade. Like there was, yeah. I, I just actually could. I'm still kind of thinking like, oh my god, like how did they pull this off? Like why did the Pistons not want Bruce Brown? This is fine. We're going to get an on ball defender. I thought that was supposed to be Bruce Bowen. 
Yeah, I actually, actually got, kind of like did a, like a weird take where I, t- I actually got Bruce Bowen on, on basketball reference by mistake because it like it, it auto filled <laughs> it auto filled and I ended up I was like whoa that's a Spurs guy that's not who the I guy want. with the bow tie yeah that's not who I wanted um, and then we get Shamit who is a nice uh, what we just talked about is a, you know a nice uh, off ball too and I'm like oh is this just like the deepest team in the NBA now like there's this is a team that's gonna roll into the season be able to take every back-to-back night off with a certain guy mm-hmm. because you have another guy that can just step in and get you a bucket, get you get you points when you need to. The defense is still going to be a little bit of an issue, so I'm not totally sold on some of the defensive stuff. You have two fives that, you, you know, for whatever you want to say, like who should be starting, they're both at least competent mm-hmm. <laughs> in the NBA right now. Still without the true power forward, okay, where, you know, that's going to be the, the, the Nets fans are going to, uh, you know, wish on Aaron Gordon for the rest of their lives, so whatever. But I, I really, I really look at this and say the feelings I had. I, when was that? Ten days ago that we did that podcast. I can't remember the feelings I had ten days ago or two weeks ago about the Nets' depth and how it's set up perfectly for this kind of season, which is going to be really weird. Only got better over the last four days. Like the Shamit thing, the Bruce Brown thing. Like I'm like, oh, okay. I don't need to like figure out what the. F- Desmond Bain's going to do as an NBA player. I just know what Shamit can do. I don't need to figure out what Robert Wood's going to do. I just know what Bruce Bowen can do. You know what I mean? Like, this is... A, <laughs> he did. I did it. Bad part, I did yeah. it. What Bruce Brown can do. Like, I, this is where we are. I think this is... I think this might be just be the legit deepest team in the NBA right now. Okay, so here, here's a couple of things. You mentioned where we were 10, 10 days ago, two weeks ago. And then... I'll say I have a sense of obligation, and don't get me wrong, you said it, right? If you have the chance to go get Harden, you make that move a thousand times out of a thousand. This is what you do. And still, our stance was before that started to get rumored that we felt really confident about this team and about the depth on it. Some people then turned immediately and said, well, if the Harden deal is going to fall apart, now you got to go to Washington and you got to get Beal. 100% no. Now you're, you're pot committed on this, on, on a third star, and that if you can't do this, then you have to do that. Do you, well, unfortunately, well you, well, you did it. You gilded the lily on me and you answered the question before I got to it, which is right, though. Just because you not you don't get hardened doesn't mean some other player has to fill that and you have to go do that. That was a once-in-a-lifetime, quote-unquote, opportunity that you were willing to engage in. And when it didn't look like it was going to work out and broke down, you go back to what the core of this is. Is there any possibility that as close as it seemingly got to happening, that it wasn't as close? That the, 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 the Sean Marks and the Nets were not as desperate to go do that thing. That they looked at it and said, of course, if we can get Harden, I love it. And also, we don't feel like we need to. So I think there's actually two things that happened here. One is that the Drew Holiday trade happened first, and the haul for Holiday was like, what the just happened here and how much did the Bucks just give up because and a desperate team a desperate team that had yes, to do it yes and the the and you're looking at that, that that holiday trade and there's almost no way so let's say let's say we walk through that night where that that trade happens Bucks offer this deal which is you know Bledsoe and Hill and every draft pick that you have till like you know my youngest is going to be in high school basically mm-hmm. or like my youngest could turn pro like the, the, all the draft picks leading up to that and then they probably counter, or excuse me, the, the Pelicans probably then put in a phone call to anyone else interested and say, hey, we got this on the table. Do you want to beat this? Well, I'm, I'm not saying this happened, but in a real world, we'll say, 
that Mark says, are you crazy? No. <laughs> like, we can't do it. We might not have get done this for Harden. Probably they would have, whatever. But, like, but as soon as that trade happened and the trade market becomes completely nuts and out of control, mm-hmm. you're like, well, this maybe this these other two things are going to happen. So I think that was one. That, that happens. Two, like, it became pretty clear and I know a lot of like really in tune people said there was a handshake deal, and I actually believe that to be true. I believe that there was probably a handshake deal between the Rockets and Nets to say that we're going to get this done. And a handshake deal is just a handshake deal. And once Tillman Fertitta is able to jettison enough money to make his team under the hard cap and know that he can still have his two quote unquote superstars, mm-hmm. hard to superstar, whatever you want to say, Russ is, uh, like on the team. He's just not going to send those guys off. Yep. Because that's also the meal ticket. And at that point, Spencer and Karras and Jared Allen just isn't good enough. It's not enough good juju to like bring back in. And so I think there was like a lot of things that happened all at once, right? It was like the Rockets got everything they needed to get done to get under the cap. And they were like, cool, we're good with money. Come back and you can play and mm-hmm. get back on the court. And the Drew Holiday thing turned the package deal up to like, the nth degree that nobody saw. Six number ones? Well, he's right. Because of, hardened, like, Drew, yeah, right, yeah. Exactly. If Drew Holiday is going for that many picks, and we saw Paul George go for this many, like, you know, a year ago, basically, like, what's Harden worth? Ten picks? Like, I don't like, even know. Like, so I think at that point, that's where it kind of all broke down. So, I don't know. No, no. And, and this, by the way, is one of the things coming into it was the idea that, like, everyone around the NBA said, also, Sean Marks is not a fan of that thing mortgaging all of the future. It doesn't mean he's not willing to do it to some extent, but you're going to be hard-pressed to tell Sean Marks what we want to do is mortgage the next eight years of, of this franchise, knowing that at some point we're going to have to reconstruct this thing on the fly, potentially. Well, and, and so that tweaks it as well. So when you say, like, Rockets accomplish what they need to, the Nets were interested, but not desperate to make that move. And all of a sudden, both parties kind of take a little step away from the table and go, well, this isn't as big a deal. My, my, my real quick follow-up question is, is James Harden going back to the Rockets now and saying, about that $50 million a year extension we nah. had on the table? I don't think he's actually yeah. worried about that because no. like, when he walks away from this, he's getting another max deal from somebody. So it's like mm-hmm. not really... And all these guys, by the way, at this point, it's like, I actually don't think the money for this group of guys is actually really all that important. It's no, they want to enjoy themselves. Like they they want to enjoy what they're we, doing. we already saw KD. We've said this many times. KD and Kyrie took discounts yep. to get DeAndre on the team. Like they, they, they've realized there's no fundamental difference between. I'm making these numbers up between 25 and 30 million, between 30 and 35 million. Mm-hmm. Like they know, they know at their core, they're max players. And I actually think at some point for this group of guys, just knowing you're the max player is as good as having the money for the max player right. because the money is that at that point just inconsequential. Like. There's no real difference between, I'm making, I'm saying this again, like thirty and thirty-seven million. Like there, there is obviously. Like I would prefer. About two million. I would. I love. I would love <laughs> to have seven extra million dollars in my bank account right now. But these guys know that this is not what their legacy is staked on at this point. And by the way, when we started this podcast, I said if we both end up earning twenty-five million a year, great. If it's thirty million, either way, I'm comfortable with both sides because I know we're established. As a couple of the best. And I'm only tied to where Bitcoin is. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> And I'm rising and falling on the internet. Okay. Right. Well, we settled that. We'll take one more quick break. We'll be right back. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. 
After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Okay, so now we agree. This is fantastic. Everything's going great for Brooklyn. But one of the other factors here, and you you saw this with L.A. last time around when LeBron was like, I don't like any of these guys. We should get rid of them. And then when that took a little bit longer, all of a sudden you had a bunch of guys on this roster that were kind of like, hey, we heard that this dude hates us, or, you know, in, in so many words, at least as far as having the players on the roster. Are there any concerns around the Leverts, the Allens, the Dinwiddies, and the just them being comfortable, confident, feeling good being on this roster with KD and Kyrie, knowing that when, when the speculation came up, you know that they at least ran it by the superstars, and they said, of course we want Harden. Right, so I think the, the reason we're, like, we've been bullish no matter what the situation here is because... Marks and company have created such a situation that you can almost feel good about whatever the scenario is. Look, there's Nets fans that don't feel this way. There's Nets fans that are always going to be the sky is falling. Mm-hmm. I know them on Twitter. It's somewhat insufferable at times. Like, it's always looking bad. Nothing's ever looking right. Whatever. That Let's just, put, let's just cast those people to the side. There's a situation here that's happened with Marks where they have set themselves up so perfectly in terms of everything they have. And it's been sort of luck because it was sort of luck that last year it wasn't luck. Cause they knew KD wasn't going to play. It was a little bit, I hate to say this was luck with Kyrie, but it kind of was because they weren't really going to play for anything last year. And Kyrie doesn't really need to prove anything at this point. So mm-hmm. you don't really need to know what he's going to do. And the fact that he does, he sits the whole year, you know, makes it so that they did nothing but just increase the value of the other guys in the team. Like Dinwiddie, there's Dinwiddie's at his all-time peak value right now, because right. he just got the opportunity to basically carry a team for an entire year, That's, which is definitely what he just did. Like right. he just absolutely carried a team, so he's a peak value. Then he doesn't come to the bubble, and you get Karras, who carries a team in the bubble. He's a peak value, and I actually don't think a year, a season playing with KD and Kyrie, diminishes their value if their stats don't look the same. Because we saw what happens when they're not on the when when they're not playing with those guys, mm-hmm. right? So like, each of those guys could come into the season and play at a lesser version of what they did last year, at least statistically, and you wouldn't even feel bad about it. You're like, oh, but that's because Katie's in the team. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, you're like, oh, that's because Kyrie's around, and they just don't have a chance. And it's not actually going to be their job to meld in with them, even though they will, but it won't come at the expense of their value because we've already seen what can happen. Mm-hmm. You know, like so sometimes you're like, oh, you dream on a guy. You're like, I'm trying to think of an example right now. It's like, oh, I dream on what Buddy Heald could be if he mm-hmm. wasn't in Sa- if he wasn't in Sacramento, like you know, and on that team. Uh, that's like an example that just kind of you know, jumps out to me. I'm sure if I like thought about it for a few more minutes, I could think of more guys. But like, don't bother. Right, right. 
But you know what I mean? Like, I don't need to like try to figure out what these guys are. I just know what these guys are if I put them on my team right now. And so they're going to retain their value all the way to the trade deadline, which brings you to, I think, the point you were trying to get to is where they stand. The Nets are in a perfect position right now. They're going to keep those guys at all-time high trade values because everyone knows what they can give you if they're the guy. And they can just win the games that they need to win during the regular season because they have these guys for death. And now that you bring in a guy like Shamit and you bring a guy like Brown, now someone, say Spencer Dinwiddie, who is not going to opt into next year's contract, he's going to want to hit the market. Now at the trade deadline, you can think, what's an additional tweak we make with, again, out diminishing any of the, the depth that you've created on this roster? And then even the nice thing, I think, on the other side of it is, too, the only other guy that jumps out beyond Karis LeVert, where you say, hey, this is actually still a nice number. Like, we can actually keep Karis LeVert. 27, 28, 29 years old, he can just, maybe he really is the, quote, third star. Like You've already got him, and, and he can do more than enough for you to help spell Ky- Kyrie Irving when he wants to take a night off or, or Kevin Durant, whatever. You have guys that have proven that they can carry the load. The only other name that jumps out to me is someone like a Torian Prince where you go, maybe the contract is just more than you want to be giving him, and you think about looking at that, the trade deadline to, again, increase what the depth and the balance of the depth across this roster is. The caveat that I'll give you is that, again, and I know people are out for the most part, you talk about Nets fans, are out on Torian Prince. We still have not seen what Torian Prince is on this roster with <laughs> Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. We haven't seen what you and I are on this roster without Kevin Durant and Kyrie And if they give me a chance, <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm going to give you every bit of my five foot eight vert. But, but, but Torian Prince played out of position with consistency this past season because you lacked other guys, specifically you lacked Kevin Durant. Without Kevin Durant there, you ended up playing Torian Prince up. So I actually think you're going to see early days here what the real value is of Torian Prince and why they brought him in and the spacing and the three-point shooting. Now, there's, there's areas of his game that once you started watching him, you had maybe a little bit more concerns than when you first brought him over. But at the same time, I think you still have to suss that out. And then come trade deadline, you could say, okay, what does a Torian Prince and Spencer Dinwiddie package for X player look like so that we do improve that? But you're not under pressure to do so. You can take your time and see how that feels before you... There, there, there's no... There's no sense of urgency now for this oh, team, the, if they ever had it. I feel like a, a, a sense of calm almost. And I'm not saying like Landry Shamit ever should have been the guy that like brought a sense of calm, and Bruce Brown shouldn't have been the guy that brought a sense of calm. But I'm like, oh, yeah, we just got like a couple NBA guys. There's no like real question marks about what they become. There's probably a little bit of upside. Mm-hmm. Really, I think we've seen the floor, and the floor is pretty good. Like the floor of what these guys can be is a pretty darn good couple of NBA players, right? And once we know that, then we can go into the season and be like, we're like we're ten guys deep at least right now, and and two young guys too, both yeah. young guys. Right. So right. you also like you know you talk about right. sense again. Of- Desmond Bain, who we liked, was twenty two. Right. Andrew Shaman is twenty three. <laughs> They're not the same player. We're not getting the same kind of guy here. But like, this is what this is why trading for a twenty three year old in the draft at nineteen isn't the worst thing in the world because it's like. We're kind of looking at projects or four-year four year college seniors who are kind of filled out at this point. Right. You're not really sure what's going to happen. And by the way, as we're saying this, Desmond Bain just went to the Celtics. Congratulations to the Celtics. We love that guy. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> nice pick. Very, very much a Celtics guy right here because it's like it's going to be making all these guys piss about when he doesn't reach any potential. Anyway, like I feel a very a, a great sense of calm around what the Nets are right now. Mm-hmm. It just feels like a team that is built... To hit the 
actually built to hit built to hit the trade deadline very hard because we're gonna they're gonna be in a very good position as a buyer. I mean, short of like a catastrophic injury or something like that. They're gonna be a buyer at the trade deadline. They're gonna have assets in like young guys and tradable contracts. Like that Torian contract is a tradable contract. Mm-hmm. The, the, the contract stinks, but it'll be tradable. The Dinwiddie player option, he's not gonna pick it up. He'll give you something. He's expiring. Gets get someone out the door. It makes the money work. They're gonna be able to build, they're gonna be able to make the money work around situations like that. I I feel good about. It. Are they gonna pick up Bradley Beal at the trade deadline? No. Right. Okay. But are they gonna be able to pick up somebody like a la the Lakers, like where they were the kind of piece it together at the end? Yes. Like I'm very confident. This is a this is a team built for this season. I'm loving it. So a couple of quick things before we do get out the door. Obviously, one. I, I liked that they didn't make the trade just from the standpoint of what I what I don't like that, I, that you're getting from, from the Nets fan base in general, maybe or at least a segment of them. And what you see, it's like you get Kevin Durant, you get Kyrie Irving, you're like, and now I want more. And it's like, man, and I get it. The NBA is built around that. So, you know, groups of players, big stars, the big threes and everything. I wanted then, James Harden too. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Don't, yeah. don't, don't, don't get me wrong. You I didn't want Bradley Beal. Yeah, and that, that's fair too. But like once that happens, you go... Boy, it's like, like, you know, the rich get richer. It's okay to just have confidence in what you currently have. And then the other piece that you mentioned before, just about the idea of a sense of calm coming over, like where, where the Nets currently stand. You wouldn't expect to have gotten a sense of calm from a slicked-haired, seemed slightly jittery Kenny Atkinson, and yet he brought a sense of calm to the team. They moved on from him. Jacques Vaughn did that in the bubble for them. You didn't, Maybe you didn't think when they first hired, even though we were really excited about them bringing in Steve Nash as the head coach, you go, w- w- is there a little bit of concern there, first-year head coach? Then all of a sudden they fill out the coaching staff, and it brings in this sense of calm. And what it ends up trickling back up to is Sean Marks, a guy who, when they hired him from the Spurs organization, immediately brought a sense of calm, coming off of the Billy King era, where you were like, oh, okay, why don't you go ahead? I can step back, not necessarily always knowing where the moving parts are going to be, but I have a sense of calm because this guy clearly gets it and knows the right way to operate this. You just couldn't, buddy. I was closing it out and you had to come in <laughs> Sorry, a with a little cough. Listen, that's it. I'm excited. I don't know if you have any parting thoughts, but I'm really excited about where the Nets are. Getting out of 19 was the right move. You get another quality player. That's it. We got we got to get out the door. Obviously, we'll be back soon. <laughs> <laughs> we could have stopped the recording, but like <laughs> we're allowed to stop it. Like it isn't our alien overlords that are telling not us the way. That. That's not the way I roll. That's not the way I roll. <laughs> telling us to keep recording. All right, locked on Nets is the podcast. I cough my way through the. <laughs> I, could, I could have also handled the outro for us too. <laughs> but I'm, I'm so used to doing. It. You can do it because I'm cough, I'm cough it's the locked on it. Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can of course follow us on social media at Locked On Nets, our individual profiles at Adam Armbrecht, at Doug Nori, and of course, the big important piece, go over, download, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Give me those five stars. Be a confident man as Doug Nori would like you to be. We'll be back in again, of course, breaking down more things around the Brooklyn Nets tomorrow morning, bright and early, fast and furious. Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.